girl, when you're hearing this, I'm in Hawaii. <laughs> <sighs> Wow, that hit, it was that was like a bullet. I know, I know. I am not in Hawaii, but I hope you're having fun, you and your beautiful family. Julian Pensavale, <laughs> Patrick Hines, Banana. That sounded like it was a dig when I was like, you and your beautiful family. No. Oh, I know. I know. I know. I know you do. It's just you threw that at me like you were in Hawaii and I'm not. I know. You guys, I totally messed up. This week, I we said in the last episode that this week was going to be Southwest of Salem. Right. I forgot that it's school vacation week and I had to go actually be a father for five days. Oh. Okay. <laughs> so you guys, we're rerunning one of our classic favorite episodes, The Death and Life of Marsha P. Johnson. And usually, you know, not a mother, but usually I correct you. I correct you on the names. I tell you the dates. I know. But see, not a mother. I had no, I was like, who, what, what day is it? It's okay. Hey, listen, how much did we love this movie? Oh, love, love, loved. And it was heartbreaking and enraging, but I I think we did a lot of good with this app. Yeah, we did. Is that kind of a jerk thing to say? No, it's a great app. We get crazy Randy Wicker. Uh, We get Miss Vicky. And Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty. You guys, there's so much. You guys, before we get to it, I just want to say a couple of things. Number one, come to our Pride show. If nothing else reminds you to come to our Pride show, this should be, this should do it. Yes. June 29th. New York City, 50th anniversary of Stonewall. Tickets are going real fast, so get your tickets. Number two, we are doing a contest. <gasps> you guys, we're giving away. It's time for our beautiful garbage bell, our very original garbage bell, to go to a good home. She's tired. Here she is. I know. So here's the, here's the contest, you guys. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, write at least one sentence about what you love about our show, mm-hmm. and then include your Instagram handle or your Twitter handle so we can find you. Um, yes. The go- the gorgeous, skinny, beautiful be- brunette in the back. Uh, with purple highlights. Thank you. Yeah. Um, what if I don't have Apple Podcasts? Okay, here's the deal. We understand that not everybody has Apple Podcasts. We This is just the beginning, you guys. We are going to be doing insane, amazing contests basically forever going forward. Oh, that's a fun twist. I know. We're going to be getting like <laughs> one-of-a-kind merch you can't get anywhere else. Just like really fun things. This this is just our very first contest, but stay tuned. There's going to be so many more. Okay. So, you guys, on May 17th is the day that we are gonna we're gonna take our top 100 favorite reviews. Mm-hmm. We're gonna put them in a hat and we're gonna pull one out, and that's gonna be the winner of our garbage bell. And you guys, if you've already reviewed us five stars, all you have to do is go edit your review and just add your Twitter or Insta handle so we can find you. Yeah. Uh, join our Patreon. Oh, please. If you want more of Jillian and me, you got to get on the old Patreon. Here yeah. Are episode by episode coverage of Serial, The Staircase, The Jinx, Making a Murderer. Get ad-free versions of these episodes. Yeah, starting from the Ted Bundy tapes on. Yeah. Uh, so join the Pates if you haven't already. The Pates is gang busts. It's gang busts. We love you. I can't wait for you to hear this again. We're going to pop back in at the end and say just a little goodbye. We're going to sign the bell, right? Of course. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We love you. We love you. Thank you, guys. Enjoy the app. Uh. So Jillian and I wanted to say... You guys, Jillian is the funniest. It's why you listen to this podcast. Well, I was going to say, it's mostly me. Yeah. I, I This is, is very important to me that we get that out. That we as... get this little disclaimer. So listen, this this film, this documentary focuses very much on the LB, LGBT community mm-hmm. and, uh, and the trans community within the LGBT community and telling the story of sort of the trans movement and this murder that happened. And we are coming at this from a place of love. However, we are going to do our thing. I'm requiring Jillian to still make me laugh. She's a little bit nervous that she's too white and too straight and too cis like and I'm just like cis. a straight girl who likes guys like I just I'm, I'm I love this community so much and I feel 
what you feel in the sense that like I'm happy that we yeah. have this medium and we get to talk about it yes. and get the word out and I'm so excited and thank you for letting me be here to do it but you yelled at me. I was like, girl, Marsha and Sylvia, our two heroes of this documentary, are looking down on you and with a cocktail in one hand mm. and like a cigarette in the other yeah. and they're like, bitch, you better bring it. They are, right? Yes. Okay. So promise the listeners you're going to be funny. Well, I will do what I do. I mean, I can't like turn it on whenever I want. <laughs> if you hear us this. laughing, the idea is that we are laughing with. And they, and honestly, that's how we approach every one of these documentaries. We're always laughing with. I want to say it was the 4th of July. We were going to meet at midnight, but she never showed up. She was in danger. I was there when they pulled her out. Marsha was so full of life. Marsha P. Johnson was the Rosa Parks of the LGBT movement. Darling, I want my gay rights now! Her case has been cold for 25 years. I'm calling from the Anti-Violence Project here in New York City. I want to try to give Marsha justice. Marsha! Marsha! Street people and the drag queens were the vanguard of the movement. The Stonewall... Marsha and I fought the cops off. We were in the streets turning over cars. The movement started the next day. Marsha was famous all around the world. But even famous people, cases go cold. This is her case. It's hard for me to believe that she would commit suicide. A lot of people think it was a murder. Marsha had a fear about the mafia. Something's wrong. They keep on running into a brick wall. You a private investigator? No. Don't play detective yourself, all right? Leave this to the people that should handle it. Justice, 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 we want justice here. Justice, justice, to find out who the hell murdered Marsha. Okay, so the 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 crime at the center of this of this documentary is the murder of Marsha P. Johnson, who is it was it like the famous, famous drag queen from the village. Um, and we're calling her drag queen. She called herself a drag queen. I think she may have been trans, but they say drag queen, right? Yeah, they say you were explaining to me that back then because in the Stonewall era. And yeah, and you guys, you don't need to know what Stonewall is right this second. Just know that it's like the birth of the LGBT movement. It was a riot at a bar in 1969, but they do cover it in the film. So we'll get. Yeah, there. we'll get there. Um, but they didn't call themselves transgender then. They called themselves queens. Yeah. Uh, so there is a difference between like drag queens and trans people, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I th- I don't want to speak for anybody, but I think that like Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson, and a lot of the people at the center of this movie would consider themselves trans, but they sort of, it, they go back and forth between referring to themselves as trans and drag queens. And you, uh, this is also a time, everyone, where the word tranny and transvestite is used, used by the community. By the community to describe themselves. This is so funny because these are our people and we're so afraid of doing of being offended. Like it's the first time both of us are like talking in circles trying to explain <laughs> yes. away how <sighs> how like not bigoted we are. I know. You guys, I couldn't be gayer. I, I see you guys. Is, is have you like listened to this podcast? It just came out of my nose. I know. I it's glittery. It's just oh, it's there's just glitter. Everywhere. It's all over my I'm hair sorry. now. <laughs> Okay, so the murder of Marsha P. Johnson happened, or the death, I guess we should say, because mm-hmm. we it's not been it's never been ruled a homicide, happened uh, on July 6, nineteen ninety two. Marsha P. Johnson's body was pulled out of the Hudson River. Mm-hmm. A lot of eyewitnesses said that they saw like she had a hole in her head. I was there when they pulled her out. Yeah. Where did you see her floating? Where did you see her floating? Right over there. She was like 
about this right there, let's say. And the head was up and the feet were down. She wasn't floating flat, she was floating down. Uh -huh. And she had a hole in her head. Um, and right away, I think it was ruled a suicide. And, you know, as you'll hear, Marsha P. Johnson was like the happiest, you know, like most selfless person in the world and had no reason to commit suicide. Everyone knew Marsha. Marsha was so full of life, right? It's hard for me to believe that she would commit suicide. Right. So right away, there's a lot of questions from the community about the the truth about whether she committed suicide. Right. And she always said, and everyone knew, I mean, there was still so much work to be done. Yeah. So there's no way she right. would she would give up on this movement that she was at the helm of. There's just no way. And the major problem here is that, you know, at some point somebody says, I think our friend Chelsea, who we'll get to, mm -hmm. um, actually says that like Marcia can't even be understood in nineteen ninety two without the context of dead trannies were literally washing up on the street. I mean lying there dead and no interest shown whatsoever in doing a damn thing about it. You know, drag queens, transvestites, trans people were washing up on the shores, were just being found dead in the streets, and the cops just didn't care. So right. they were much more quick to rule the death of one of these marginalized people a suicide than they were to spend the time, like, investigating an actual potential murder, because they just didn't care. Right. The 6th Precinct, which is, like, the precinct that covers the village, is, like, right on West 10th Street, like, mm -hmm. right in the heart of the West it's, Village. I mean, it could not be in, on a gayer block. No! And, like, think about these, like, <laughs> Think about who were cops, especially like in the 60s and 70s. It's like middle-aged white men, you Italian, know. Italian, Irish. Right. And you have all, like, you have this precinct that sort of had to take care of this this neighborhood in New York City that was all, like, gay, lesbian, mm -hmm. drag queens, trans, trans people. Yeah. And just, like, the, the lack of the ability to communicate on both sides is just unbelievable. They couldn't be any farther apart. Different. Okay. Our hero in this movie One is of our heroes. One of our heroes. Victoria Cruz. Miss Vicky. <laughs> the thing about Victoria Cruz, so she is a woman who works for the Anti-Violence Project in New York City. She's trans. Mm -hmm. And take it away, Jillian. I love her. I love her. She <laughs> is just, I don't even know where to begin. So she is Do Native you want to begin American. with the titty pictures from the 60s? Oh, I loved those pictures. <laughs> this is my beach outfit when I had the body. X-rated. Well, yeah, we're jumping ahead, but eventually she shows us photos of her in drag from the 60s, and every every hair is in place. Yeah. It's so glamorous she and beautiful. She says that she used to like work the runways in New York City. I just love the stage. I used to do the catwalk in the city till they found out I was trans, and then I got booted out. She was so tiny. She had a 24-inch I was like, okay, Victoria Cruz, we get it. You don't have to rub our nose in it. Back in the 60s, it was against the law to be dressed in drag, I was very fortunate that I was small and petite, so I really wasn't detectable. I was very careful not to get arrested. I had a 24-inch waist. <laughs> then she shows us naked pictures, and we're like, we get it. You were like itty bitty and whatever. Um, she's amazing. She's Native American. Mm -hmm. She is on it. <laughs> Don't stand in her way. You guys also, um, every time she gets in an elevator, she uses her cane to press the button. That cane. She works it. 
to no end. And she has these adorable interns from the Anti-Violence Project who just want to help her with this so I know, badly. I know. So when we meet, uh, they call her Miss Vicky, so I'm going to call her Miss Vicky. <laughs> so when we meet Miss Vicky, she is really telling us this sad story about how there are so many murders of trans women and these cases go cold because, like we were yeah. saying, the cops just didn't care, ruled them as suicides or whatever. And she says this heartbreaking and beautiful thing. But there's a massive number of trans women who have been murdered. And their cases have just gone cold. And they're yelling out from their graves for justice. She wants to solve the Marsha P. Johnson case, right. which now we're like in 2016, whatever. It's 25 years that this case has been cold. Right. And she wants to solve this one final case before she retires. Right. It's a very convenient framing device for this documentary. Yeah. Most of them were unknown, but even famous people cases go cold just like Marsha. Marsha was famous all around the world. Her case has been cold for 25 years. If we can't bring justice for Marsha, how can we bring justice for all these other unsolved cases? One of the things I'm obsessed with about this movie, and I have spent, I've lost hours of my life on YouTube looking for like archive, just old footage of New York City. I can't believe how much footage is in this documentary that is largely due to hoarder randy wicker tell us about randy wicker <laughs> he's largely featured in this documentary because he was marcia lived with him in hoboken mm-hmm. randy i've actually been to this guy's apartment because in my previous work as like a amateur gay historian i i interviewed randy at length because randy's very important to the movement sure. he's been around from the beginning yeah and so he's got all this archival footage and it's used throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Randy is important because he lived with Marsha for 12 years. But mm-hmm. he also becomes more important later as we get to oh, like yeah. the theory of the crime. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can we take a quick break and talk about um, the drunk guy that finds Marsha on the pier? So we have to. <laughs> I will not go forward if we don't discuss that. Marsha Johnson, queen of the village. One of the great people. This is one of the most courageous people in the world. I've always loved people. I always wanted to put on drag and I never had the courage. This is one of the people that has the courage and bravo for for him, her, whatever he wants to be. So we see this old footage. One of the ways we're sort of introduced to Marsha P. Johnson back in the day is like through this it, this video of this guy, Humpty Dumpty. Who is just saying in his heart, I know the nicest things about her. And he's just saying, like, he keeps calling her. He doesn't know if to say he or she. Right. And he's like, if he wants to wear men's clothes, he wears men's clothes. If he wants to wear women's clothes, what do you do? You wear women's clothes. And not only that, he doesn't give a shit whether he wears men's clothes or women's clothes, you know? And Marsha finally has had enough. She's like, how do you know? Yeah, she's like, you don't know me? What are you talking about? (laughs) How do you know all this? It feels like wearing roller skates whatever and it's proof of like just how known she was in the community she was famous and the fact that he was like i'm this age and you are inspiring me to live who i am right and she's like you don't know me like it's just (laughs) it's just a perfect uh explanation of like what was happening at the time and how famous she was well so on that front one of the first things that victoria does in investigating this crime is she goes to see marcia p johnson's family Mm. Now, this is amazing because as a person who, like, knew about Marsha P. Johnson, I never imagined her, her family, where she comes from. Right. So she goes to Elizabeth, New Jersey and finds the Michaels family. So Uh she talks to Marsha's sister, Jean and Robert. Well, Marsha was born Malcolm Michaels. Yes. 
And they have this beautiful moment where, you know, Victoria sits down and she's kind of like, how much do you know about the murder? And they're like, we don't know anything. What do you know about the case? I, you don't, I really don't know anything. Don't know all anything. we know is that, you know, they found him in the river. That's all we know. We really don't know anything about that. But then she has this moment where she's saying she, he, she yeah. wants the family to be comfortable and she doesn't know what they want. See, that's what we're investigating because um, we have eyewitnesses that report seeing him, her. Uh-huh. What do you prefer me for me to call... Um, that doesn't matter. Marcia. Okay. Okay. Because, you know, like, these are definitely not people who seem like, like they know the gay community. Maybe they do. I have no idea. But they certainly don't know what Marsha was to the gay community. They even said that she would come home and be like, well, I was hanging out with Andy Warhol. And they were like, no, you weren't. Yeah. And then Miss Vicky's like, she sure was. <laughs> Anything you did, he'd have you laughing. When he used to tell us stories, we didn't believe him. I tell him, oh, you're lying. You didn't know Andy Warhol. You didn't know those yes, people. Yes, she did she knew a lot of famous people. She was famous herself. But the best part of the whole thing is when Marsha's brother is like, oh, he couldn't sing. And then we have the footage of Marsha. <laughs> Singing. <laughs> Marsha did a lot of other things really, really well. I will say, too, that Marsha had perfect teeth. Yeah. she And she knew how to throw an outfit together, let me say. No. You know that she was the best dressed person in any room ever. Totally. Totally. It's true. And, like, there's, like, this scene of, like, Randy, like, showing this closet full of clothes he's bought for her. Oh, yeah. Did you see the fur coat I got her? There she is, Miss America. Well, tomorrow morning I'll give you the breakfast sheet when I'm fixing breakfast for you. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah. she keeps talking about like making him breakfast. I'm like, you guys, you guys have the weirdest living situation. Oh, that's one of my favorite parts. So when it's about Valentine's Day, yeah. where she's like, prepare your heart for heart failure, failure because you will be gagging. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put on my Valentine outfit. I love it. And you're gonna be gagging. Yes, you're gonna be gagging. And I'm like, how do you not want to hang out with her? I know. She just exuded. She was full of life and love. And there's no way it's a suicide. Garbage people. No way it's a suicide. It's just not. So on that on that garbage people note, one oh, yeah. of the things. So when when um, Victoria goes to Randy's apartment, you know, Randy's a hoarder. One of the videos Randy has in his possession is of the March for Justice for Marsha. Yeah. Right after she her body was found, the community rallied right away. They yeah. wasted no time. So there's all this footage of them like shouting out police officers and chanting do your job do your job do their job do their job do their job do their job and it's so tragically beautiful to see this community like I hate that it happened but everyone together was just peacefully might I say what is insane is like one of the guys is like screaming yeah and he's like four inches from the cop I know and the cops are literally just like another day at the office we want justice here to find out who the hell murdered Marsha why you fucking people are standing here not doing your fucking job Again, it's like these like middle-aged white men with mustaches being like, what are, what's happening here? Yeah, it's like, yo, I just want to get home for Sunday dinner. <laughs> I don't think that it's possible for you to schedule a meeting that will resolve this problem to your satisfaction today. I don't think that's possible. Okay, girl. Are you ready? <sighs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> Who do we meet next? Ms. Sylvia Rivera. Rivera. My name is Sylvia Rivera, and I'm given permission to have this filmed. 
Sylvia Rivera, first of all, needs her own goddamn documentary. Yeah. Yes. Where's that? I don't know. But can you tell us everything? I need to hear your take on Sylvia. Well, Sylvia. Well, we first meet Sylvia <laughs> in footage that was two years after Marsha's death. Yes. So, so 94. Sylvia is not doing very well. She's She's got some rough living. At first you see her and you're kind of like, oh boy, here we go. Like that's just, you're just kind of like, mm. and then as she she's, does kind of look like your best friend's drunk aunt. Yes. You know what I mean? Who's like, oh, she has the best stories, right? Yeah, totally. She would totally sneak you alcohol. Yo, and cigarettes. And like a Coke can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's like rum and Coke in there. That or Jack and Coke or whatever. Like that's Sylvia. So you see, and you're like, oh boy, who's, what's, what's with this one? But then she tells these stories. <laughs> It's so funny because I know that person as a as like a historical figure so well. Of course. So it's a, I'm so loving hearing you not having that knowledge. Yeah. It's amazing. Because to me, she's an icon. But to you, right. she's a train wreck. Well, by the end of the movie, I'm like, God bless this mess of a hero and an icon and someone who really like. I know. I know. We have, you know, the, the whatever. Yeah. So anyway. But then but she is like literally smoking a cigarette. Like sort of leaning. leaning I'm like, she's going to catch her hair on fire. And then she tells these stories about how the friendship between her and Marsha. When I met Marsha, must have been like 12 years old. She was like a mother to me. Marsha was an icon of the gay movement. Marsha was known through the world. Marsha and I, we were the liberators. The street people and the drag queens were the vanguard of the movement. We're the ones that stood the forefront and fought the cops off, and we're the ones that didn't mind getting our heads bashed in. She yeah. says things like, you know, well, we didn't mind getting our heads kicked in, and I'm like, holy shit, like, this is, yeah. hold on a second, like, joke's over. Yeah. She's going to go in on some crazy shit that they did. So what she goes in on, this is where we get the background on the Stonewall riots. This is insane. Stonewall was a very nice campy little bar owned by the mafia you know gay people were not allowed in bars so right so anybody who doesn't know about the stonewall riots 1969 here's the way the world worked back then Mm -hmm. gay bars were illegal it was against a lot of being drag Mm -hmm. so what the mafia did was they would go down to like the like the bad part of town which at the time was the village Mm -hmm. they would find these like shitty like run down venues basically mm-hmm. and turn them into gay bars. And what happened was they, the gays, if you wanted to like gather and meet, you had to go to these mafia run gay bars and you would go to the door and they would, they would be horrible to you. And then you would pay money to go in mm-hmm. and they'd serve you overpriced watered down drinks in like the grossest, like they didn't have any way to wash the glasses they were serving you. Yeah. And then the cops of course knew what was happening and would get paid off by the mafia but every now and then they would come and raid these bars to make it look like they were doing their jobs. Of course. And so when they would raid the bars, they would be horrible to the gays. They would beat them. They would take their IDs. If they took your IDs, they would often publish your name in the paper. Now, remember, it's against the law to be a known homosexual. So horrible. So if you worked for the police department, the fired any sort of government job, you'd lose your job. If you mm-hmm. were a teacher, you'd lose your job and you'd have to register as a sex offender. That's it could, insane. The bar raids could literally ruin your life. Right. Which is why Stonewall happened in 1969 they had just had it yeah oh yeah so they raid the bar this one night we danced my lover and I and next thing we know that the lights came on and Hey, we're being raided. And instead of running into the night, people stayed. And they were, like, waiting for their friends to come yeah. out. I'm 
getting like crazy chills. Yeah, I'm giving hearing. a super abbreviated version of this. Yeah, but, there's like, so much more, you guys. Do the research. There's a lot of reasons why the people didn't leave that night. Number one, there had been a bunch of raids that week and people were sick of it. It was earlier in the night than it usually was. People weren't ready to go home. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful night. Judy Garland had recent, had like died. I think her funeral was that day, so people were just kind of oh, sad. Shit. It was the first time people had the, uh, the balls to stay. And right. all of a sudden, you've got four cops to like... 300 gay people and the and the and people just kept coming and coming and coming yeah and you guys it's a whole scene molotov cocktails were flying and i'm like oh my god the revolution is here thank god and like at one point it's described when marcia describes getting there she's like sylvia was across the street in the park having a cocktail when i got downtown the place was already on buying they lock the cops in the bar. They overturn a cab. Yeah. You've been treating us like shit all these years? Uh-huh. Now it's our turn. It's a it's a full on riot. Full on it's, riot. It's crazy. Yeah. And you know what? Sylvia might not remember it too much because she was spaced out on black beauties and scotch. <laughs> I was spaced out on black beauties and scotch. So I'm sure the next day, again, probably over like Bloody Marys or for, you know, drinking their breakfast. um, (laughs) She got some updates on like what a fucking badass she was the night before. Well, because she literally says and the the gay rights movement started the next day. I mean, there was a lot of bloodshed that night. The movement started the next day. Yeah. Now, two things to know. Number one, the people who like stayed at Stonewall and didn't run into the night were the drag queens mm-hmm. and the homeless people and the street kids. These were the people that the gay rights movement owes their everything to. Everything. Because the the white guys like me ran home because they wanted to get to their fucking bank jobs in the morning and not right. get in trouble. Right, right, right. The other thing you need to know is that the Stonewall is still open and their tagline is come to Stonewall where every night's a riot. <laughs> <laughs> Well, now we start meeting more people who are involved with Miss Vicky and the anti-violence project. And they tell us that after this movement started, Marsha and Sylvia really start focusing on the transgender issues that are sort of coming out of this LGBT movement. After a while, I think they knew that they most had to concentrate on the area that no one was addressing for them and that only they could address and that was being transgender. I gotta say, we hear this from Carla J, who yes. is like this. Carla J is a hero of the movement, but like I will say that in this movie, she like she shows up and the shenanigans stop. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> there's a you. There's a shift. Yes. You're just like okay, but also I like know. what like awful statistic is she gonna tell us? <laughs> like, oh. Yes, she totally is here to tell us the horrible statistics. Like, I want right. to be back in Randy Wicker's <laughs> closet with all the outfits. <laughs> <laughs> she totally looks like the person who would show up at the gay pride party with the bad news. And you'd be like, hey, pass the black beauties in the sketch. <laughs> Carla J is a genius. She's brilliant. She went to Barnard College. She wasn't fucking around. Like, and you know what? That's needed. Yeah. Because in in the midst of this, like, you know, this these fabulous outfits and everyone yeah. having fun, there it really is like, hi, 
die. Right. There's a lot of tragedy here, and we need to talk about like how we can move on and make the world a better totally. place. Thank you, please. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and so we learned through this time that like Sylvia and Marsha really do step up to the plate to like they they found this organization called Star. Marsha and I thought one day we needed to do something for our own. That's where Star was born. Street transvestite action revolutionaries. You guys. I know. <laughs> I know. It's basically a shelter for trans people in the fucking 70s. It's like the True Colors Foundation that Cindy yes. Lauper has to get trans and LGBT people off the street. Off the street. Except they, they did, did this without, you know, 14 Grammys and a billion dollars. Like, they were they were street people themselves exactly. and somehow they got the city to give them this building. They helped those who were in the street just trying to live their lives. And a lot of them got on that street and ended up hooking or hustling um, to make a buck. And they sometimes had no place to stay. Marsha and I started Starhouse to keep the kids off the streets. Get these kids, get their things together. You hear Carla J talk about, like, you know, how, like, Sylvia, how, like, Marsha was, like, fun and fabulous, but Sylvia was, like, serious. Yeah. Sylvia was always very outspoken. She was unrelenting. She was, uh, Sylvia was very in your face, very intense eyes. A slash of a mouth, a guttural laugh, like Marlena Dietrich. Sylvia was quite the serious one. We've talked about this a little bit in this episode, but one of the things that's highlighted over and over and over again is sort of how these street people and these, they call themselves transvestites and trans people were the people who like literally didn't mind getting their heads kicked in. Literally were the ones that were like, and so when the when the the gay pride marches started happening the following year in 1970, like again the white men came in and like took the movement over. They didn't start the movement; they just like w- had bigger numbers and more money. It sort of comes to a head in 1973 at the gay pride march where they have their rally afterward. What happens is the movement wants to be taken seriously by the mainstream. They shove the trans people to the back of the line in the march. Yeah, honey, they took and put old drag queens way in the back. Of them. Like, honey, that was that was not the right thing to do. And they don't care if you were there to get in the gay movement, demonstrated in drag and stuff. They don't care. And then they didn't want to let Sylvia speak at the rally. And Sylvia's like, fuck this. I'm going to wait all day and find a time to speak. And Sylvia gets up there and talks, and she's basically screaming her face off. Well, about- she's getting booed, first of all. I've been trying to get up here all day. For your gay brothers and your gay sisters in jail that write me every motherfucking week and ask for your help. That footage? Yeah, I know. So I looked up the real footage because I thought, I was convinced that the filmmakers had enhanced the yelling and the booing and the screaming. And I've seen this video on YouTube. You can see it. You know, I've watched it a handful of times. They didn't. Yeah. The booing and the screaming and the jeering that Sylvia got that day is exactly as it's represented in the movie. When I was watching it, I was like leaning forward my like with my chin on my hands. Like I couldn't I couldn't look away from it and I couldn't believe what was happening and how just like raw and and strong she was in the and literally in the face of people yeah. and what she's screaming is so important that people know which is that you know people the gay people in jail they weren't writing to these other groups at the yes. time they the men and the women were writing to star this mm-hmm. trans organization because they knew that Sylvia would get shit done right and they couldn't trust the the white men in the movement to get this shit done 
and they write star, not the women's group. They do not write women. They do not write men. They write star because we're trying to do something for them. But you all tell me to go and hide my tail between my legs. I will not put up with this shit. I have been beaten. I have had my nose broken. I have been thrown in jail. I have lost my job. I have lost my apartment for gay liberation. And she finally has this like heartbreaking moment in the end where she screams, Revolution now! And then she goes home, and, and you see 1994 Sylvia talking about how she went home and slit her wrists. I was hurt, and I felt that the movement had completely betrayed the drag queens and the street people. And I felt that, you know, the years that I had already given them had been a waste. So I went home, locked up the house. If it wasn't for Marsha, I wouldn't be here right now. I got 60 stitches in this arm. She came home and find me, found me bleeding to death. Yeah. And how had it not been for Marsha coming home and finding her, she found her and she got her to the hospital and, and Sylvia Rivera would be dead. Yeah. Yep. And then she, Sylvia, leaves the movement. She's going, she goes to Terrytown and like she literally becomes like the trans queen of the suburbs. Of course, you get the first strange looks. Hey, Bob. It's like you become friends with everybody. Can you imagine you buy a house in Terrytown and then Sylvia, like Queen Sylvia Rivera moves in next door? Throwing hopefully the best parties, I'm sure. <laughs> Can you imagine like her key parties? Ah! <laughs> oh my God. So Sylvia's now out of the scene. She moves to Westchester. She's out for a long time. And now we, we're, let's go back to present day Miss Vicky. It, what comes to light is that there are conflicting witness accounts of when Marsha was last seen. So her body was found on July 6th, but people report seeing her both on the 2nd yes. and on the 4th. But so Miss Victoria's going to get some answers. She's going to try her damnness. <laughs> so she calls some retired NYPD cops. You guys, they were cops in the 70s and 80s and right. 90s. So let's just get get ready. <laughs> so he she calls this guy Daniel Masanova. Well, and this guy answers the phone. <laughs> What's the matter? What's the matter? What's up? Uh, yes, may I speak to Daniel Masanova? That's me. What's the matter? What's up? And I'm like, this, I know who this person is. Like, I, this is so New York. Like, I know what I can, I could pick him out of a lineup. I could do a police composite drawing of him. I know this person. I'm like related to people like that. It's crazy. What's the matter? What's up? And she's like, um, hi. All she does, she's like, hi, can I speak to, yeah, what's the matter? What's up? Like, it's, it's always like, there's some people in New Yorkers, especially and like this guy's from Queens. Cause they all are in my mind. Emergency right away. If there, if someone's getting a phone call, what's up? What's the matter? What happened? Who is it? What's the matter? So Vicky's like, actually, there is a matter, and it's that you guys didn't do your fucking jobs back yes, in the day. That's exactly. that's what the matter is, mm-hmm. actually, Daniel. Mm-hmm. I'm working on a reopen case from 1992. Uh, what was the name of the victim? Marsha P. Johnson. Are Hudson. you talking about the girl off the water? Yes. Yeah, that was that was Jimmy Abreu's case. So she's looking for this guy, James Abreu. James Abreu is also a retired cop. You know, you got to call him, whatever. Oh, my God. So she's calling and she's calling and there are dead ends everywhere. No, James Abreu isn't here. No, I don't have that number. No, I don't have this. Until she's like, hi, my name is. And she's so not like she's just like really like pushing through. That is so frustrating to Uh make phone calls like that and have dead ends. 
And suddenly, someone's like, yeah, hold on. Hey, Jimmy! <laughs> he answers the phone. Payroll. <laughs> Payroll. I'm looking for uh, James Abreu. Yeah, hold on. Jimmy! Phone call. And her face. She's like, what? And he's like, hey, Jimmy, fuck off. <laughs> and we're all like, oh, my God, it worked. I know. She found him. And you see her face. She, like, I know. shudders a little. She's like, what? I know. I know. And Jimmy, though, then uh, it's like, Jimmy wants absolutely nothing to do with anything. Yeah. And, like, yells at Miss Vicky. Can I meet with you in reference no. to this particular case? Definitely not. Because? Because I'm retired from the NYPD and you're calling me at work. Can we meet outside of your job? No, definitely not. I don't want to meet in regards to anything. And then she calls back Daniel. What's the matter? <laughs> Daniel, what's the matter? And he's like, don't play detective yourself, all right? Leave it yeah. to the professionals. I got to give you a little advice. Don't play detective yourself, all right? Leave this to the people that should handle it. Then she goes to the downstate correctional facility and, and meets Kitty. Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty. Victoria? Miss Kitty? Hi. How are Thank you? Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for allowing me to come. Miss uh. Kitty is one of Marsha's friends. I adore Miss Kitty. Miss Kitty is, you know, Miss Kitty has got stories for days. Miss Kitty is like six, six, five. Yeah. She's incredibly <laughs> tall. She's super built. She's got long bleach blonde hair. Like in a ponytail. In a pony. Like she's, she's trans, I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, 100%. Trans. Yeah, yeah. Red lipstick. Uh-huh. And she walks in and you're like, you know, first of all, you know she's not in a woman's prison. Right. For sure she's not. And you also know that she is, I think, holding her own, doing pretty well. Yeah. Did you see her arms? Also, she looks pretty good. She's got to be old. Like, and we don't know why she's there. First, We, we have no idea why she's in prison. No, it was some amazing... I she probably beat thing. the shit out of someone who <laughs> fucked with her. That's probably true. And good for her. That's probably and get true. get her out. Yeah. <laughs> she does not deserve to be there unless she did something terrible. <laughs> I just love her. Now, here's the thing about Miss Kitty and Marsha. These people lived hard. Victoria's there because Miss Kitty's one of the last people to be known to have seen Marsha alive. Right. So Kitty tells us that she last saw Marsha on the 4th of July. I want to say it was the 4th of July. I ran into Marsha in front of the Christopher Street bookstore and it was broad daylight. She was in full drag. Yeah. She's like, I'm pretty sure it was the 4th of July, which which makes sense because most yeah. people st- did say July 4th. It's yeah. just a few people who said the 2nd. Yeah. The they were going to go cruising the stroll at like midnight. I mean, first of all, the stroll, by the way, is the modern day meatpacking district. <laughs> and then she's like, you know, we were going to Anvil, which is like one of the clubs. And she goes, you know, the usual time, two, three, four in the morning. We separated. We were going to meet at midnight and we were going to troll the streets back and forth. And we were going to go to the Anvil. Mm-hmm. Like the usual time was 2 <laughs> or 3 a.m. But she never showed up. So Marsha never shows up and Kitty is worried. And, and she's like, I never saw her again. Yeah. But Kitty goes down to the stroll to look for Marsha. Yes. Maybe maybe that's where she is. Maybe something happened. Yeah. And what we learn from Kitty is crucial information. Yes. Kitty tells us that the girls down at the stroll, and she's she gets a little, no pun intended, she gets a little catty. <laughs> she's like, oh, the butch queens were on that side and then the other queens were on that. And I'm like, Miss Kitty, write a tell-all book, please. I was down by the stroll. Girl stroll, the, the queen stroll was on that left side, on the right side. 
was where all the boys used to do their thing, the Butch Queens. So then what she hears from, I don't know if it's the Butch Queens or whoever, but someone <laughs> tells her that there was a car full of Guidos, Guidos and people were warning Kitty, like, hey, like, just so you know, everyone had each other's back yeah. at this at this time. I remember the girls had put me on point. Miss Kitty, watch out. There's a car full of Guidos, you know, driving around. And there were a car full of Guidos and they were kind of menacing and just yeah. people were scared of them. And somebody says that they saw Marsha get into the car of Guidos. That car at some point later on in the night. Later that evening, I heard that Marsha had gotten in the car with them. On the stage, she was like, child, we told her not to get in that car. And then suddenly she was missing. Yeah. So that is, I think... Crucial information. Very, very crucial information. So the next stop in the investigation, Pine Hills, New York. Victoria gets on a bus, Mm -hmm. gets off the bus on the highway. (laughs) I was like, this documentary crew couldn't give her a ride. (laughs) And then she walks to the home of Rusty Mae Moore... And Chelsea Goodwin. Come on, oh, come on, girl. Yes, girl. Oh, good to see you. Rusty Maymore, lovely, welcoming, invited her right in. Chelsea Maymore? A little standoffish. <laughs> Not in a good mood. Chelsea, come here, girl. What's the matter with you? Give me a hug, baby. Blessed be. Blessed be. How you doing? Yeah, Chelsea is one of those is one of these people I think who doesn't really care for all of this being brought up again. Right. I think it was one of those where she's like, I don't know what to tell you, and she's just like, I don't have any information that Randy Wicker doesn't have. <laughs> anything you may be able to tell me may be very very helpful. I don't know anything that you can't get better from Randy Wicker. And then, like every, at every turn, like Victoria is so kindly. It's like, but did you want to talk about the cops? No. But maybe you can tell me about the cops that were around during that time. I really can't. You can't? No. Did you want to talk about this? Nope. I know. <laughs> but I, of course, like, uh, that must be a hard thing to want to talk about. And then yeah. there are cameras there and you don't know, you know, they're in your home. She's it's obviously very, like an like, introvert. Like, she's just not having this. There's nothing more intimate than the situation that she's yeah. going to tell about something that was illegal and had to be kept hidden. Yeah. And people got beaten up for. And now it's like, hey, smile for the camera. Right, Is this right, lighting right. okay? And you're like, what? But you know who did that to her the first time? Randy Wicker. <laughs> like, a week after her, after the murder. Because yeah. they go on this, like, investigation. So now we flash back and of course because randy's like a video hoarder we have all this video of chelsea and randy in a van driving around what we now know as the meatpacking district trying to like talk to people and get information i want to park the van you're gonna go talk to the girls you're yeah. gonna you're gonna be um out that back window with the camera close the door so the lights go off mm-hmm. and we get a little bit of like cranky chelsea's backstory which is that like she was one of these trans trans queens like hooking in the meatpacking district and, and they're driving around trying to find out if anybody has any information but then you know she talks about the the young girls out there and they're trans women is, is who she's really uh-huh. talking about most of these girls are underage most of them are more throwaways than runaways and the older ones are people like me that started out when we were young and you're a survivor young. then yes she is the last one of her generation. They either died of drug overdoses mm-hmm. or suicide or they mm-hmm. were murdered by John's. Like, these people lived a rough fucking life. Super rough. You have your attitude, Chelsea. You earned it, girl. And a drink if you want. But please have a drink. <laughs> Take a drink and a Black Beauty and settle down for five <laughs> Just, seconds. Come on. Okay, so now sort of like towards the end of the movie, we get to like, here is the case that I think Victoria feels like is what happened. Right. And we're looking at the mob again. 
Right. With Let those- me explain a little bit about the Christopher Street Liberation Day March. So yes. the, what we now call the Pride March every year, at the end of the march, there's a festival. And it's the Christopher Street Festival, and it's, like, full of, like, street vendors and what you know is, like, those, like, street festivals in New York City. Yeah, there's meat on a stick and everything's fried, and it's just right. that. So Heritage of Pride, which is an organization that still exists, go support them, they ran the march, and then these other people ran the Christopher Street Festival. It was Ed Murphy. Who, who was, was a this- former bouncer at Stonewall, mm. so we know that there's a mob connection there. And Red Mahoney. <laughs> who are these guys from Dick Tracy? <laughs> Right. The guys who ran the festival were Ed Murphy, who had been a bouncer at the Stonewall, and then his friend Red Mahoney. They worked for whatever part of the mafia ran the gay bars at the time. So Randy Wicker is now on a mission. Mm-hmm. This is in the ni- like the early 90s. He's on a mission to get control of the Christopher Street Festival back for the gay community because it's apparently generating all this money that the gay community never sees. Right. It's being run by the mafia. They were s- successful in getting the mafia out of the bars. Mm-hmm. They want to get the mafia out of out of this racket as well. And they want this control of it back. The Christopher Street Festival Committee is widely rumored to be mob controlled. We're going to take this festival back. We're going to run it for our community. Take back the day. Randy says something about how, like, the Heritage of Pride had tried to get it back a few years before and had been threatened, and they were saying, Randy, don't do it. It's not right, worth it. Right. And then we see this video of Marsha. Three weeks before her death. This is this is the definition of chilling yeah. to me. Because she is talking about, we're wondering when the mob's going to come with the bullets. Like, everyone was She's very aware. About Randy. She's saying how, like, Randy is organizing this thing and how she doesn't want to be a part of it because she's like, that can get you killed. Yeah. My roommate Randy's out really yesterday, people with, from the festival committee. I mean, he's doing this whole great big trip with all these um, organizations to change all these people around lately. Which can get you murdered, you know. Honey, I'm waiting until they get a hold of you for taking their money away. Randy tried to put me in the middle of it. I don't mind. I tell him, I... So, uh, honey, we're running, wondering when the mob is going to come with the bullets. (laughs) I understand you. And so Randy is like on TV. He's like out loud and proud, Mm. like saying like, we're going to do this. We're, We're getting this back and he's doing a noble thing like you should you the gay community should be receiving whatever money is made from that street festival so miss vicky's like "Mm, no she takes her adorable intern she gets these call records from From the anti-violence project right and there's this call that was written down that we learn was not told to the police was not or told to randy or told to randy that is basically like if randy doesn't shut his mouth what happened to Marsha? can happen to him. It was a very chilling phone call, uh-huh. particularly given the circumstances surrounding uh, Marsha's death and everything that was going on with the festival committee. So this was an anonymous caller calling the Anti-Violence Project saying, get Randy Wicker to stop. Do you think this was a threat or a warning? I think it was a threat because if it had been a warning, the person would have left their name. I also think that in a better context, like if the police had done an investigation, right. this this message would, may have fit into a context that we would then understand it better. A zillion percent. Because we're just looking at this one random message and like we have no idea. I'm sure there is information to support one of those theories. Right. So this is when we find out that Roger, Roger McFarlane, who's another person who is known in the, in the, in the gay history books. Mm-hmm. He said he remembers seeing Marsha on... The 5th, at 4 a.m. in the morning on 22nd Street, he said that Marsha was kind of terrified and was being followed by two guys going west to the river. She was being chased. Yeah. 
And she was terrified. And she was terrified. And so she runs to the pier. And that's where her body is pulled out right. the next day. The one thing I want to say about the pier is that back in in those days, in the 90s and before, there are many instances of bodies being pulled out of the river because men were down there like late at night cruising for sex or doing whatever they were doing and they fell through the hole in the pier. It was dilapidated. I mean, it was disgusting and falling apart. It was very apart. unsafe for you to actually be on that pier. Yeah. And people fell through the, slit, the slits in the pier and died. Yeah. So it's not unreasonable to think that that could be what happened to Marsha. Right. And now, so Miss Vicky gets a partial autopsy right. report. And then she, of course, is like, I don't fucking know what these words right. are. So they get... Michael Baden, who's an independent medical examiner. So he addresses the idea of people seeing the gash on her head. And he's like, well, when you're in, this is really. He says definitively that there was, there was no, she was not beaten in any way. Could you rule out a violent assault? Yes. There's no evidence there of violent assault. There was no injury, no impact injury to any part of her body. There was no fracture of the skull. There was no damage to the brain at all. The hole in her head was, this is horrible, but it was just deterioration from the water, which happens a lot. What about the hole in the head? Well, uh, the body gets injured after death uh, by uh, floating debris and all that. And the body starts breaking apart faster in warmer water. So what looks like gas on the left side is really just the peeling of skin, but it's just normal separation of skin and he said she either she was running and fell or she was pushed but there was no she was not she was alive when she went into the water yes yeah what we have here is an unwitnessed drowning Uh, she went into the water while still alive and breathing whether she's pushed in whether she's being chased and falls accidentally we can't tell from the autopsy that depends on the police investigation so that's kind of the resolution. So we see Vicky sort of put her package together and take it to the FBI. She does what she set out to do. She has everything. She's gathered all the in- the information, and she leaves it for the FBI. Yeah. We then see Sylvia Rivera, and this is brutal. It's 1995. This now, is horrible. If you've seen the – if you've been to New York City recently and you've seen the waterfront, it's beautiful. It's stunning. But up until like 2003, it wasn't like that. There, it was like a shanty town. So like uh-huh. all these homeless people live there. And Sylvia Rivera, hero of the modern gay th- – by 1995, it was she was pretty widely recognized as a hero. She's living – she built a, like she built a little shanty house. How long do you live here? I've been here since a week before Gay Pride Day this year. This is my little house. She's completely homeless. She's totally an alcoholic. Like she's mm-hmm. ba- she's so skinny. It looks like she's a- you look like the wind would blow right through her. Yeah, and she's not dressed the way she was. She has a beard. Like she has scruff on yeah, her face. Yeah, she looks awful. And she came back to New York from Tarrytown after Marsha's death. Yeah, but she lost it. She totally lost it. She be- lost you it. know because of you know she's had a hard life and Marsha's Marsha's being murdered or dying and and I mean her situation is bad and to make matters worse. We now see the news reports that they are going to be revitalizing the West Side and they're kicking out all these homeless people. The West Side Highway is due for a fix-up. It's been a long time coming. There are concerns about uprooting some people there. The homeless will be asked to move tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. You literally see the cops going in and, like, kicking the homeless people out. And she's out. saying, like, get don't out of my get house. out of my house. Don't be going in my house. Excuse me, don't be going in my house. So that's brutal. But then... We see, 
like she sort of gets it together mm-hmm. which is like the most re- it's so redemptive at the yeah. end of this movie yeah so Chelsea Grumpy Chelsea and Rusty Mae Moore have this like townhouse or whatever in Brooklyn where they have all of these like sort of homeless gay youth and like trans kids that don't have it's anywhere else to go it's the star house yeah essentially it's the same thing and they say to Sylvia like girl you're not homeless yeah come home right. we're gonna do oh this God, you're gonna make me sob she'd been homeless and she'd been living on a pier and that sort of thing and I said uh, hey you're not homeless I got a a place. As long as I got a place, you're not homeless. She didn't move in right away, but she started coming around, you know. She'd do some work in the backyard, do some work around the house in uh, lieu of paying rent. They say, like, no, we're all doing this and we're all going to continue to support each other. And really the only way we know how, which is to be a family. And then Sylvia, like, kicks drinking, like, literally cold, cold turkey. turkey. She, and then she she becomes, like, an internationally recognized. Mm-hmm. They, You know, World Pride is the thing that happens now every year. Um, and it's every, like, every year a different city hosts it. And, you know, the year it was, like, 2002 or whatever. Oh, no, maybe it was two, whatever year it was. It was in Rome. And mm-hmm. Sylvia goes and she's, like, a celebrity. Yeah. People People are so happy to have her there. And they talk about her, like, living in this house in Brooklyn, how she's, like, is mothering and she mothers these kids. Yeah. It really gives me great pleasure to be here in representation of the gay liberation movement and the transgender movement all the way from the United States. So, Sylvia died. I think she was, like, 50 in her 50s yeah. she died of colon cancer yeah. in and 2002 beautiful rallies just like what happened with Marsha Marcia, yeah. and um, she was just really she went down in history as, yeah. as doing so much good for yeah that area over by the West Side Highway is now called Sylvia Rivera Way that's amazing I know they gave her a street in New York City I love that episode. Me too. I just, I love Marsha. I love Randy. I love Miss Vicky. I love Miss Kitty. And Sylvia. I know. I mean, I still, when things are going wrong, like they were today. Yes. Technology wise or or life wise. Yeah. I just say like, Marsha, Sylvia, please, I know. please, please. I actually, I literally do like pray to them. Med- I'm just like, can you hold I my know. back, you guys? Black Beauties and Scotch, you guys. Uh. <laughs> Never once have I had anything close to Black Beauties and Scotch. Same. But I'm kind of like one day Someday. I know. One day I know we'll yeah. all be hanging out with the Black Beauties and Scotch <laughs> safely. And Fred is in the sky. Totally. You guys, just really quickly again, come see us live June 29th. If you loved, if you loved this Pride episode, come to our Pride show. Yeah. Tickets are going really fast. Uh, I'm doing the Pride tours in the morning. I'm going to show you so much of the stuff that you saw in this documentary. Yes. It's going to be a crazy, crazy tour. So get your tickets. Uh, come on the tour with me. Don't forget about our contest <gasps> rate us five rate us five stars on itunes and include your twitter or insta handle right and if you don't have apple Podcasts, don't worry we're, we're, we're coming, coming for you we're coming back in with, the best way yeah we're coming back with more contests that are going to be for everybody yeah uh but the but the reviews are important to us yeah and thank you and our patreon you guys don't forget to check us out you can get episode by episode coverage of the staircase serial making a murderer the jinx get ad free versions of these episodes yeah and we're starting Lorena so get in there I know I know you guys stay tuned for our outtakes the preview for Southwest of Salem Mm -hmm. and our palate cleanser we love you bye thank you bye satanic cults satanic ritual abuse has become the fastest growing and most controversial psychological phenomenon in the country it's a modern twist to an ancient story. Investigated their world of covens and sacrifices. This case is probably the last gasp of the satanic ritual abuse panic. 
allegations were made that four young women had gang raped these two little girls. My attorney said that I would lose. Nobody wants to go against a child. The whole scenario sounds like a porn movie, a man's version of what women do in their spare time. They got on the bed and they started touching me. What did they say? They were silent. It's too bizarre. It's almost dreamlike. The case, it went off track in about every way you could. According to the people in court, this is what gay people do. No. A little kiss. If this was an easy case, someone would have snapped it up a long time ago. These are people's lives. How did this get past the media, the jury, the appeals process, their defense lawyers? Until we get the exoneration, we won't actually be freed of any of this. The modern version of the witchcraft trials. Yeah, so, sometimes in the way that like gays will call themselves like the anti-gay F word, uh-huh. uh, which I almost said, but then I decided I not saw to. it. I was like, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god, oh god. We're on the roller coaster. We're just going up and up and up, and let's just see what I happens. I feel like the. F- Can we take a second to talk about the '90s hair? I mean, just like the kid that's screaming at the cops. You see him from the front, and he's like so mad, and the camera pulls around, and he's got this like long rat tail. Yeah. <laughs> The rat tail, you know, we talked about this in Jesus Camp a little. I will never understand it. I will never support it. Whoever that person is, who they choose to be, I support every single ounce of it. Yeah. Except the rat tail. I can't. I just can't get behind it. Thank you for being a friend. And don't call me anymore. I'm retired. You're calling me at work. I'm like, well, if you're retired and you're at work, then stop it. Your story's full of holes already, Jimmy. Keep your story straight. We meet a woman named Canada Scott Peel, who's another one who's been around from the very beginning. Who also has no time for anyone's shit. She's got five minutes to talk to you and don't waste a second of it. I used to, um, when I was in high school, this was my morning routine. I had to leave for school at 7. I'd get up at like 5. I would take a shower. I would pull my hair back into the tightest ponytail you could possibly imagine. Hairspray it. <laughs> let it set. Then I would like eat my breakfast and have my tea. And then I would take my ponytail out and then brush out the hairspray so that my hair was stick straight. With Indigo Girls blasting <laughs> the entire time, right? Yes. And now for your palate cleanser, the original Broadway cast of Kinky Boots. Just be who you wanna be. Never let them tell you who you wanna be. Just be with dignity. Celebrate yourself triumphantly. You'll see. You'll see. Just be. Just be. And those who have yet to make up their minds As people all over the world clamor for kinky boots It's time for 
for us to get back to work. But before we go, we would like to leave you with the Price and Simon secret to success. All right, now, we've all heard of the 12-step program, have we not? Yes, but what you can do in 12, I want you to know that we all can do in six. Ow, and it goes like this. One, two, the truth. Come on, come on. 